This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Exodus chapter 33, the title of this message this morning is People of His Presence. I've entitled it, People of His Presence. I believe that the call of God to his people in every generation and every hour, but especially the hour in which you and I find ourselves living in, is to more than ever identify and see ourselves as people that are carriers of his presence. So I want to draw your attention to verse number 11. We're going to read a few verses here. In verse number 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me to bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said that I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know how to, in, how, that I might know in order to find favor in your sight, that I might be able to find favor in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. In verse number 14, He said, my presence, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with me, do not bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us or your presence that marks us as distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said to him, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. I love this particular story of Moses because it says that there was something very unique about God's relationship with Moses more so than he had with any other human being at that time. At that time, God spoke through angels, through prophets. He spoke through signs. He spoke through wonders. But it says about Moses that he spoke to Moses face-to-face as a friend speaks to a friend. Imagine what it must have been like to be Moses and to have that type of a relationship with God, the God who is the deliverer, the God who is the voice that came out of the burning bush, the voice of the one who called him to go back into Egypt to be the deliverer of the people of God. And now he's brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's brought them to the mountain of the Lord, the address that God says, I want to meet with my people. 
And he's gone up onto the mountain to meet with the Lord and to speak with the Lord face to face, to figure out what God wants to do, to figure out, Lord, okay, now that I've got your people out, you've delivered them by your mighty right hand, you've parted the Red Sea, you've provided for them, you've released plagues on the most powerful empire that the world has ever seen because they would not let your people go, and I've brought them here, now what? And while Moses is up on the mountain, the people got stir-crazy, they got scared, they became anxious, Because you can take slaves out of Egypt, but it's much more difficult to get Egypt out of slaves. And you see their heart, all they had ever known all of their lives is just being a number or a slave. The way that they knew to respond to authority was by the crack of the whip and by the fear of death. And even though God had delivered them, he had a process by which he needed to deliver them on the inside. And so in the absence of a leader like Moses, while he spent many days in the presence of the Lord, they revert back to what they know, even though it wasn't satisfying. They revert back to what is familiar because that's all they have. And what do do they have? They begin to worship other gods. They begin to think about Egypt. They begin to crumble and to complain. And the Lord says to Moses, he says, to Moses, I'm going to send you into the promised land. I'm going to fulfill all the promises that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them that I would be faithful to give their descendants the land, and I'm going to keep my word. But I'm not going with you. Because the people have turned their hearts away from me. The people have basically desecrated my character. They've called me into question my goodness. They've not been faithful, even though I've delivered them. And so what I'm going to do, Moses, is I am going to bring you into the promised land, but I'm going to send my angel on ahead for you. He's going to clear the way, and all the children of Israel can go in, and they can inherit their promises. But the people have turned their backs on me, and so therefore, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land. And that's where we hear Moses say to the Lord, Lord, if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go because it is your presence in our midst that marks us, the people of God, as distinct from all the other people on the face of the earth. And if we lose your presence, then we've actually lost our identity. Literally what Moses was saying is this, I would rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than to inherit the promises without it. I would rather stay in the wilderness where I don't have everything that I want. I'd rather be here where the promises are yet unfulfilled because wherever you are, God, that's where I want to be because that's where our people, that's where the children of Israel find their truest reality and identity. We can go into the promised land. We can inherit the lands. We can inherit the houses. We can defeat the giants. We can have great victories, but if we don't have your presence in our midst, then we have lost the one thing that marks us as distinct from all the other people in the world, from the Canaanites, from the Egyptians, from the Babylonians, from everybody else. You having a physical address in our midst is the one thing that marks us as different from everybody else. And you know, when I read this story, this account of Moses with the Lord, it reminds me that even today, as the church, as the people of God, 
We are marked as distinct because we are carriers of his presence. Do you know that uh, in our church when we worship like we just did in powerful, powerful worship, I love worship, there's something that happens, there's a transaction in worship. When we begin to magnify the Lord, transformation takes place in our life. Worship is more than just the prelude to the message. I know that sometimes we can have that mindset. It's kind of like the warm up and you know we kind of come in and it's interesting to me as a pastor to see over the many, many years that thousands of people or hundreds of people can be in the same room together in the same worship service and one person's life gets radically transformed by the presence of God, and another person's standing there and they don't feel or experience anything. One person responds to the altar call, and another person is drawing pictures on the back of an offering envelope. Not like I did that or anything. And a uh, hundred people can have a moment an encounter with the Lord that forever indelibly marks them and changes them. And 800 other people can walk out of the room and they will forget about that worship service. What's the difference? God was there. The difference is there are some who are hungry and thirsty and who are spiritually aware and drawing on the presence of the Lord. They have an attitude of Moses that, Lord, your presence is greater than anything. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And others of us just kind of we can kind of go through the motions, and we've all been guilty of that, of just kind of going through the motions. But Moses' statement that your presence in our midst is what distinguishes us from all the other people of the world, I think is a statement that's appropriate for all of us, for the church in this hour. Because listen, we will never compete as the church with Disney. Disney's, you know, they're, they're in a level all of their own, and so we can make the best Kids space, and, and by the way, you guys have one of the best children's spaces anywhere in the country that I've ever seen. It's, it's world class. But can I just tell you, you're not gonna have magic, you're not gonna have you know, a roller coaster, you know, magic mountain going through your children's ministry that competes in 3D virtual reality with Disney. You're not gonna compete with Starbucks you know, in, in our coffee, even though you can have some really good coffee, and I believe that good coffee is holy unto the Lord. One of God's covenant names is Jehovah Java. It is, it just is. And the Lord said to Moses, these are holy grounds. There's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. So, so there's, there's coffee in the Bible, but listen, we're not gonna compete with a franchise like Starbucks. You see that little green mermaid on a sign, anywhere in the world you know what you're going to get. The golden arches. All the brands and all the logos. Can I just tell you as the church, we need to stop looking at logos and egos and we need to lift up our eyes and we need to recognize that there is something that, we, that the church has in our midst that we sometimes have a tendency to forget about or discount that the world can't imitate. The Grammy Awards can't imitate it. The Academy Awards can't imitate it. Hollywood tries to, but they can't, in, they can't imitate it. And what it is, is the tangible manifest presence of God in our midst when we gather as the church. It is supernatural, it is transformational. And it's what changes people's lives. And, you know, we have a tendency to try and match whatever the world is doing, but what, 
what would happen if we as the church began to shift our priorities back to what got us to where we are, which is the presence of God, and everything else became secondary instead of trying to find something else because the day of the presence has passed. There are people who will say, well, you know, you, you know, worship and the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of God, those are things from a bygone era and culture has shifted. It's too sophisticated and people are looking for something more academic and intellectual. Listen, I believe in the days of the power of God. I love all of the systems and I love all the buildings and I love all of the lights, but at the end of the day, if all we've got is external structures and nothing on the inside, then we have missed it. We gotta be people of his presence. Years ago, I remember sitting in the front row of the church that I was on staff at as a newly married young man and listening to a man who would become one of my mentors. I believe he was here last year. His name is Jimmy Evans. And Jimmy Evans had written a book called Marriage on the Rock, and that book and his teaching transformed my life because I was 21, 22 years old. I did not know how to be a husband. My dad had been married and divorced three times. My mom was on her second marriage. And I I just kind of assumed you get married and you live happily ever after. And I realized pretty quickly that if I was gonna be good at marriage, then I needed to invest as much time on learning how to be a husband as I was investing in how to be a pastor, and maybe more so. And sitting on the front row listening to Jimmy Evans on a Friday evening at a Marriage on the Rock seminar, he began to talk about the two laws or the, the, the two laws of marriage that radically changed the way I view marriage. Number one law was the law of priority. And then the second was the law of pursuit. When I heard those laws, I began to think to myself, man, I have messed this up already. The law of priority and the law of pursuit. And it radically changed the way that Jane and I began to build our marriage and begin to build our family. And to this day, I'm so grateful for Jimmy Evans not only learning those laws, but then communicating those laws. And when Uh, Last year, when I was reading this text and I was preparing to teach this message, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, the same laws that apply to strengthening your relationship with your wife are the same spiritual laws of acceleration for the church to return back to my presence. The law of priority and the law of pursuit. Let me break them down for you. The law of priority says this, that whatever we prioritize today determines what we will be shaped by tomorrow. Whatever we prioritize today will determine what we are shaped by tomorrow. The law of pursuit is very similar. The law of pursuit says that whatever we prioritize most, we will pursue the hardest. So in marriage, if I'm prioritizing Jane, then I am going to carve out time to spend with her to grow in our relationship, to have conversations. We've, for the last 27 years, have taken Fridays, and Fridays is our day. And we've done that for many, many years. I protect it, it's our time. And we do whatever Jane wants to do. We go shopping, and it's Jane's day. It's like, what do you want to do? So we sleep in, we go for a walk, we go shopping, we eat at Panera. I mean, you ask a guy, where do you want to eat? It's not, well, let's go get a nice salad at Panera. So, but Jane likes Panera, so we'll go to Panera. And it's Jane's day because it's the law of priority. It's I'm 
putting you first, which then leads to the law of pursuit, which means I'm going to have to pursue her to show her value, and in return, I get the reciprocating response of love, and that produces intimacy. Now, when we look at the story of Moses' conversation with the Lord, we see both of these laws in place. In verse number 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What is that? That's the law of priority. He's, He's saying to the Lord, more than the things that you can do for me, more than me using you as a means to an end, your presence is the most important facet of my life. And it's the focus and it's the attraction of my heart more than anything else. And then when we look at verse 13, it says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. I mean, verse 18, where he says, Please, Lord, show me your glory. That's an audacious prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But to say to God, God, the God of the heavens and the universe, the one who spoke in a moment and everything that is came into existence. Light began to move at 186,000 miles per second. The universe came into being. Matter existed. When God said light, it became. When God separated the darkness from the light, it happened. When God said separate the water from the mountains, it happened. The one who holds every molecule and every atom and every nucleus in the entire universe with the closest star traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. It would take you over 100,000 years to reach even the outer corridor of just our galaxy. And there's a billion other galaxies in the universe that are expanding at the speed of light. The God who made all of that, Moses says to him, show me your ways. That's asking a lot. God, show me your ways. I want to know how I can please you. Show me how and why you do what you do. And then he asked him, Lord, show me your glory. Man, that is an audacious prayer. Lord, show me your glory. You can either look at it as an audacious prayer as almost overspoken, or you can realize that's what a friend asks for. Moses, is what he's really saying is, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more intimately. I want to know what makes your heart beat. I've seen what your hand can do. I know what you're capable of. And when everybody else is calling in to question your character, when everybody else just wants you to be useful, God, I want to know you more than ever before. Do you know that trying to understand who God is is like standing on the shore of the Pacific Ocean with a teaspoon and scooping it out into your little bucket? And saying, I'm going to figure this thing out. How many scoops out of a teaspoon does it take to empty out the Pacific Ocean? Do you know that saying, Lord, show me your glory, is pointing your heart at the goodness and the character and the beauty and the wonder of who God is. And it's saying, I may never be able to figure out, but I'm... I'm purposing in my heart that I want to know you more. Lord, show me your glory. Show me how you do things. Show me your ways. 
And when we say, God, I want to know your ways, we're not saying, God, you've got to download all of the answers to my toughest questions. What we're saying is, Lord, I want to know your character. I want to know your heart. And I'm prioritizing, and I'm going to pursue you. When that is the posture of our heart, let me tell you, God's presence is magnetically drawn to that kind of a prayer, that kind of a response. A.W. Tozer, in his book called The Pursuit of God, speaking about the presence of God, says this, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be the one without the other. You see, God is here when we are wholly unaware of it, and he is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, For his work, it is to show us the Father and the Son. And if we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. You see, there is an invitation that God gives to us. Come and see. Come and see. His response to Moses, I mean, I I just kind of see it. It's, It's almost... Comical of the father looking at Moses and hearing his prayer saying, Moses, if you only knew what you were asking for. If you only knew how beyond you it is to understand my ways. He says it, he says, look, no man can see my face and live. I am holy. I am awesome. I am powerful. No man can see my glory. But I'll tell you what, Moses, because you asked. There's a place by me on a rock. I'm gonna set you here and I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock. You know, a little crack outcropping of the mountain. And here's what I'm gonna do for you, Moses, because you asked. I'm gonna let all of my goodness pass before you. And then when I pass before you, you know, I'm gonna kind of cover, cover your face as I pass before you, and then you'll just see kind of the residual of my glory as it passes before you. No man can see my face. In other words, you can't understand God completely But God says, because you ask, because the pursuit of your heart, because the priority of your heart is the presence, when I'm gonna pass before you, I've got a place by me here on the rock, I'm gonna hide you in the cleft, and then I'm gonna let all of my goodness pass before you and allow you to just get a taste of what it is to be closer to me. I love the fact that God responds to the hunger and the thirst of a man like Moses who asks for the unaskable. And God says, oh, wow, that's, that's a pretty big prayer. When everybody else is focused on their immediate needs, when everybody else is captivated with the shiny things of the world, when everybody else is worried about more, and when everybody else is worried about raising their status and, and their significance, when everybody else is worried about those things, I found one man who has said that my presence My closeness is more important to him than anything else, and he's drawing near to me, and God says, you know what, I've I've got a reward for that kind of life. I've got a reward for that kind of prayer. For me, looking back on my life, some of the earliest memories I have that stirred a hunger for the presence of God go all the way back to my grandparents. My grandparents were godly, uh, godly people. They loved the Lord, and they were... Southern gospel singers, they traveled as itinerant evangelists. My grandfather worked in General Motors for 30 plus years. And as a young child, my uh, mom and dad divorced very early on. And my grandfather 
we get up at 5.30 in the morning, lived with, we lived with them for the first six years of my life on and off, and I would climb up onto my grandfather's lap at five, about 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, you know, wake up, crawl off the couch, see grandpa there. He would always have two things. He would have his big cup of coffee, a big orange old 1970s burnt ember orange coffee cup, and a black King James Dixon Analytical Study Bible. And he would sit in his recliner and he would read the Bible, and he'd drink his coffee, and he would pray. I would crawl up onto his lap. And my grandpa has the biggest smile. He had this big old smile, his white hair, my hair is starting to catch up with grandpa's, but he, he had that big old head of Boris Yeltsin white hair, and he would just sit on his, on his chair, and he would sing a song, and he was always filled with joy. And there, I knew the presence of God was on my grandpa's lap. And you know, that ruined me because the rest of my life, I was looking for that. I was not satisfied with just information about God. I was not satisfied with just worshiping from afar. I wasn't looking for a useful God. I was looking for the God who would be a friend, the God who would be a father, the God that when I called on his name would allow me to sense his presence. And you know, I can take you to places and I can take you to geographical locations in those places and I can show you I met God here and I met God here. God spoke to me here. God transformed my life here. God healed me here. God saved me here. And those moments are memorials. Those moments are the cleft in the rock for me that I go back to where I met the Lord and he allowed his goodness to pass before me. And you know, what I want to encourage you today is that there is, there is an invitation that God is issuing to all of us to move beyond the barriers of just living a mundane, boring, good, nominal Christian experience where it's like, I love God, I go to church, but my real passion is found out here. It's doing all of these other things and pursuing these shiny things and climbing these ladders. There is an invitation to draw close to him in the cleft of the rock and to be people that are completely captivated by his presence. Church, we gotta return to being people of his presence. We gotta return to being people of his presence. This morning I wanna conclude, I wanna read this scripture, if they would put it up on the screens. Ezekiel chapter 48. In verse 35, this is at the end of Ezekiel's prophecy. He sees the temple of the Lord. He sees what God's intentions are. And this is the last statement that Ezekiel makes. He says, and the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. What's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about his people. More than anything else, what the world is looking for is a real, tangible, present God who reveals himself as a loving Father and a gracious Savior. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.